It was a generation ago that Harry Truman said, and I quote him, Millions of our citizens do not now have a full measure of opportunity to achieve and to enjoy good health. Millions do not now have protection or security against the economic effects of sickness. And the time has now arrived for action to help them attain that opportunity and to help them get that protection. Unquote. Well, today, Mr. President and my fellow Americans, we're taking such action 20 years later. <laughs> and we're doing that under the great leadership of men like John McCormick, our speaker, Carl Albert, our majority leader, and a very able and beloved majority leader of the Senate, Mike Mansfield, and distinguished members of the Ways and Means and Finance Committees of the House and Senate of both parties, Democratic and Republican, because the need for this action is plain. And it's so clear indeed that we marvel not simply at the passage of this bill, but what we marvel at is that it took so many years to pass it. July 30th, 1965, President Johnson at the Harry S. Truman Library in Independence, Missouri, with the former president and first lady at his side. Both the setting and the audience were intentional, as President Truman had tried and failed to pass a federal health care program. Lyndon Johnson had made it a central part of his 1964 campaign. On September 1st, 1964, Senator Barry M. Goldwater interrupted his vacation cruise and headed for shore in a big hurry. Destination, Washington, D.C. He arrived just in time to cast his vote. No. Then he turned around and headed back. Senator Goldwater flew across the continent twice, almost 6,000 miles, to vote against a program of hospital insurance for older Americans. As he said in the Atlanta Constitution on January 26, 1963, I've got my own Medicare plan. I've got an intern for a son-in-law. Flip answers do not solve the problems of human beings. President Johnson wants a program of hospital insurance for older Americans. He is determined to see this program passed in the next Congress. Vote for President Johnson on November 3rd. The stakes are too high for you to stay home. Coming up, strategy sessions with key White House staff and members of Congress, as Lyndon Johnson works to create a central part of his great society and take the most significant step toward national health insurance in American history, Medicare and Medicaid. First, joining us by phone, Julian Zelizer, professor of history and public affairs at Princeton University. His books include The Fierce Urgency of Now, Lyndon Johnson, Congress and the battle for the great society. Professor Zelizer, please describe the Medicare-Medicaid legislation that President Johnson signed into law on July 30th of 1965. Well, the legislation had three parts. Medicare A provided hospital insurance to elderly Americans who were over 65, paid for through Social Security taxes. Part B covered the cost of doctor's bills, 
and that was paid for by general revenue uh, from the federal government combined with contributions from beneficiaries. And finally, the third part is what today we know as Medicaid. And that was a program run by both the federal and state government, and it covered uh, persons who are called uh, medically indigent, uh, who were not covered by the other two programs. Now, the calls we're about to hear take place from May 1964 to March 1965. As LBJ works towards passage of this legislation, please describe for us some of the high and low points for LBJ on the way to approval of this measure in Congress. Well, in 1964, after becoming uh, the president uh, following John F. Kennedy's assassination in 1963, it's a low point in that uh, President Johnson really pushes for this legislation to pass. Uh, Of all the legislation, this was seen as the one that was most closely connected to the memory and legacy of President Kennedy, but he's unable to get that legislation through Congress. Uh, One of the principal opponents is Wilbur Mills, the chairman of the House Ways and Means Committee, a Democrat from Arkansas who opposes the bill because he thinks it's too expensive and will strain Social Security taxes, and because the American Medical Association was still opposing this legislation as a form of socialized medicine. So uh, 1964, there's one big push to get the bill Uh, and actually circumvent Wilbur Mills. But in the end, uh, Mills and his allies in Congress are able to stop it. The end of 64 is a high point because the election of 64 uh, was key to changing the dynamics in Congress. Many Democrats who run that year, uh, besides President Johnson, run on the promise that they will push for Medicare. Barry Goldwater, who's the Republican presidential candidate, is an opponent of Medicare. He's a critic of Social Security. So his defeat to Lyndon Johnson was seen as a mandate uh, that Democrats could move forward with Medicare and that anyone who stood in their way was going to lose. So that's a really critical year. And then the early months of 1965, things fall into place. And the most important change is that Wilbur Mills, who had been the key opponent until 1964 of Medicare, switches and says he's going to push for a bill. And that's exactly what he does uh, through March when the final legislation that the House will push forward is revealed. Julian Zelizer, professor of history and public affairs at Princeton University. His books include The Fierce Urgency of Now. Lyndon Johnson, Congress, and the Battle for the Great Society. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. We begin on May 18, 1964, with President Johnson and his chief congressional aide, Larry O'Brien. The president had told Mr. O'Brien and Assistant Health Education and Welfare Secretary Wilbur Cohen to begin work with House Ways and Means Chair Wilbur Mills. Mills told me that uh, by the end of this week, he thought he would have something in shape to come down and discuss with you that he could uh, present by way of a package that might be of interest. I told him I had read some articles recently that were a little bit disturbing that would indicate nothing was happening, particularly in the Medicare end. And he said, uh, well, uh, you know better than to pay attention to those stories. And I said, well, I agree with you, Wilbur. I just 
wanted to be reassured, and he said, uh, "You uh, now you uh, know that you can't have everything you want." And he said, "This bill uh, ultimately, uh, he said, it's got to have the mill stamp on it." And I said, "Well, God, uh, you know the the president's view is that whenever you want to talk to him, and uh, that door is just wide open, he's just anxious and he's awfully happy to see you." And he said, "Well, you just tell him again, as I told you late last week, that just as soon as I'm ready to sit down and be able to present something to him that I can spell out that would make some sense and would uh, represent a package I think that would be of interest, that I want to get a hold of you and make an immediate appointment." And uh, now Wilbur Mill, or Wilbur Cohen, uh, reported to Henry. I asked Henry to get a hold of him this morning. He reported that uh, there hasn't been any uh, particular new moves in the committee. Uh, that they're still kicking around a little bit. That uh, Mills is edging uh, toward a. Uh, first of all, uh, toward the end of last week, he felt that uh, on a contract basis under any Medicare program that he wanted to have the private insurance companies be able to bid along with Blue Cross. Now, the labor folks uh, got a little wind of that, and uh, B-Motor came in to see me the other day, and they had gone up to see Mills, and uh, I'm told today that uh, Mills has decided over the weekend he thought that over, and that was a little too complex, and he's kind of back in the position that he was in, and that is that Blue Cross be given a chance to handle the contract. But he's certainly uh, in the Medicare ballpark. He's feeling away, his way along very slowly and carefully, and he's uh, manipulating and maneuvering, but he isn't pinning anything down that can't be unwound, and I think we just have to have uh, confidence in him to uh, be contacting us uh, by the end of this week uh, for this long-awaited meeting, and uh, uh, you know, that. and uh, Cohen says that uh, from all, everything he can uh, discover that there is no hanky-panky. They said that some of the strong Medicare supporters in the committee have been a little nervous. Al Ullman, for one, an awfully decent guy on the committee, talked to me last week, and he said, I just have a feeling that something's going to work out, but I get nervous because Mills won't tell us anything. So, But that's the way Wilbur operates, as you know. So I... Uh, I talked to him as recently as, uh, oh, must have been uh, noontime today. But uh, uh, I, I would like to get him uh, with a wrap-up on the thing and down to sea on it because I noticed these stories are starting to break out, uh, you know, in different directions and all kinds of interpretation of what is going on in there so far. I'll have to say that the consensus is that Mills is going to come out with a Kerr-Mills Social Security package that bypasses Medicare. You know, that's about all I've read. Now, uh, uh, Mills, of course, uh, insists that that isn't what he intends to do, and he says, after all, it's uh, all in the, the, the final analysis. What, what does it uh, contain? And uh, he said, you and I know that the, my goal is to include a Medicare program into it. I'll tell him tomorrow that we sure like, I'd like to talk to him about it as soon as he gets where he can, and I sure hope that no action is... He makes no commitments until we can talk about it. Yeah, well, now, he promised uh, the no commitment end and uh, told me by, that by the end of the week, oh, why don't I figure I'm pleasantly giving him a ring again in the morning, just touching base, hello, how are you, Wilbur, and sort of keep right on him, because it should be by the end of this week. He's reached a point in that committee. It's a complex damn bill, and there could be an ultimate price tag on this bill that uh, of about $3 billion, I would think, you know, overall, because they get into the uh, increase in the uh, benefits and Social Security, and I think that would be a tag of 400 or 500 million, something like that. 
Now, I had told Wilbur Cohen, I said, hell, if he's getting into something that I got, no one fights those things. And as long as it doesn't mean he's using this a handle to uh, get out of Medicare. And he said, well, uh, he's not going to use it for that purpose, but he'd like to have his imprimatur on that. And I said, well, hell, if you're going to do that, those folks ought to be getting those checks before election. And then, uh, uh, then on the Medicare end, he was talking about the value of the package, a 750 a month value, and he said, well, hell, people could make an election, a single election, you know, at the outset, and that would be irrevocable. And uh, we kicked that around for a week or so, and uh, my contention was that, hell, if it's a 750 package on face value, then the, an election to take cash, uh, the person should get $5. You know, they shouldn't get an equal. Uh, an amount in cash equal uh, to the package because, hell, that isn't. Uh, so now it's my understanding that that's the road he's traveling. He's figuring that the package he has in mind is worth in the uh, open market, say, 750 and that the election that they would have at the outset, uh, which would be an irrevocable election, uh, would uh, mean that they chose to take $5 in cash each month rather than the uh, Medicare benefit package. A few weeks later, Larry O'Brien calls the president with an update. Hi, Mr. President. Uh, the uh, Wilbur Mills situation has deteriorated. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would say at this moment, totally. I had uh, Celebrees and Cohen over here early this afternoon. Uh, Mills uh, killed a couple of hours in the committee this morning, but there was no action. Uh, he talked to Cohen following that and uh, feels that... Uh, he just uh, can't put this thing together. Uh, he's uh, suggesting why not vote out of just a Social Security bill in the morning. He's going to have the, uh, the final markup and uh, with an increase in benefits that he wouldn't ask for any vote on current mills and kind of put that over to next year and that uh, it, uh, he can either vote Medicare, and which we'd lose, or perhaps he could skip that vote entirely and why didn't we try to do something over on the Senate side with the Social Security bill when it went over there to attach Medicare to it, and at that point, conceivably, something could happen in the conference and what have you. Now, I asked them just uh, what uh, they both felt that uh, short of uh, a conversation, uh, again, between you and Mills, that there wasn't uh, anything that could happen tomorrow morning except uh, to lose this thing totally, that the best that would happen is that they not take a formal vote. It would require, uh, that will require uh, talking to Gene Keel and others to keep them away from uh, demanding a formal vote because Keel has been raising hell with Mills on inaction as it is. Uh, the whole thing uh, uh, is at a point where... Uh, I think there has to be another conversation of some sort. Very frankly, I don't have the handle. I, uh, I'm not, I know I'm sort of just dumping a problem in your lap without the answers to it. But uh, I uh, think that uh, perhaps what we ought to do is uh, uh, suggest to Mills, which I can do, that uh, perhaps he could postpone tomorrow morning's meeting until Wednesday, that uh, we uh, uh, talk the leadership uh, further in the morning, that we conceivably even have Mills at the leadership breakfast if you think that's worth a damn, or we arrange for a conversation in the morning with Mills down here. Uh, that might lead uh, Mills, uh, it could be presented to Mills of Hell Wilbur. You, you, apparently you're out of steam because you feel you don't have the votes and you're talking about Watts and Herlong and apparently you're right, you don't have them. Uh, but uh, what do you think about having the Democratic members of the committee uh, get together in one, in one group and let us, uh, you and I, Wilbur, put the uh, pitch on them to come out of here with some uh, piece of this bill? 
Now we can do that or just uh, try to avoid a vote in the committee and uh, let them just vote the Social Security aspect of this out and then uh, and concentrate our efforts on the Senate side with Mills feeling that uh, conceivably he could be of hope. Now it's a reverse situation. It isn't so much he would be as of hope, but he would be in good shape with the AMA if he could convince the AMA that something uh, uh, strong was going to come out of conference and therefore he would be the mediator cutting back and hoping them to avoid having them have a debacle in conference. The whole thing, therefore, adds up to a pretty dismal situation as of this moment. And I thought it, I should, number one, report it to you. I'm sorry that I don't have specific uh, suggestions that would be meaningful at this point on the corrective uh, end of it. But uh, I, I did want you, uh, if you would, to advise me on just what you think of this that uh, we could possibly do at this point. I guess the best thing is just to let him go and vote out Social Security and pass it in the House and see if we can add the other on the Senate. President Johnson and his chief congressional aide, Larry O'Brien, on June 22, 1964. We fast forward now to September 24th, as a conference committee works to resolve the differences between Senate and House versions of the bill. Louisiana Democratic Senator Russell Long calls the president to tell him the state of play in the committee. He mentions Senate Finance Chair Harry Byrd and Democratic members Albert Gore Sr. and Clinton Anderson. I had a minute, but I held some folks out of here. I wanted to find out. They told me you all broke up this afternoon. Did you make any progress? Mr. President, uh, God, I don't like the way things are going. Uh, it's, uh, I thought with Will Mills undertook to talk to us for a couple of days as though he's going to do something. That, uh, that meant that he was he'd willing to do what he's talking about, you see? And uh, so I was just riding on cloud nine, figured we're going to settle this Medicare thing and get out of our hair and get it behind us. Uh, but then, uh, now to date, uh, as I have to talk to you, I've been out campaigning for votes. And I frankly, I've got a majority. I've got 40 senators ready to vote for me to make, to make me the, the whip when, when Humphrey gets moved up to his job. But uh, I left that thing with uh, Anderson and Gore understanding that, uh, see, I can't leave my proxy with them because Harry Bird will figure I double-crossed him. If I did that. So the only thing I can do is just to be there when the vote occurs. They send, you know, send for you when you need me. But, but anyway, I've been voting me and Smellis. Or at least have been sitting there with, with, the, with the process for me and Smellis to, to hang on in the event that we had to, ha- had to do this. Now, now Wilbur, Wilbur said something to me this morning. It sounded like he just wasn't planning to take anything. He said, he said you've got to divorce it completely from Social Security, otherwise it can't be considered. Later that day, the president gets an update about the conference committee from House Majority Whip Hale Boggs. Yes, Hale. I just wanted to ask you what happened in Social Security. Is Wilbur going to give it to us again? Well, I'm afraid so. What happened was that we, we were within a half breath, a breath of having the thing agreed to. And Clint Anderson, God bless him, not knowing Mills and what a devious guy he is. That's well now. Uh, we better check on whether or not this thing is germane, whether it's subject to a point of order. And I said to myself, Christ, somebody, that's all he needs to get off the hook. And sure enough, uh, he comes back at uh, 2.30 this afternoon and says he's talked to Dexman and that uh, it may be subject to a point of order. In the meantime, I talked with McCormick and I knew I know we got a rule whether it's, whether it's subject to a point of order or not, see. And it ended up, I just told him, I said, well, um, uh, we're just going to fight the thing out, Mr. Chairman. Uh, uh, the idea of you taking this course is uh, you think it's reprehensible to get a rule. I think it's reprehensible for you to act the way you act. And we 
ended up, uh, the way we ended was that uh, they are going to draft something, but uh, he's giving us all this baloney about not going to the rules committee to wake on the campaign. And this is, this is just a this is just a way to get off to get out. That's all. So say this: I think if we don't take some part of Medicare, then we ought to abandon the whole damn bill. I don't think we ought to pass any part of it. Okay. All right. Okay, President Johnson and House Majority Whip Hale Boggs on September 24, 1964. Three days after President Johnson's landslide election victory and Medicare's fate still undecided, the president calls activist and pediatrician Benjamin Spock, who's been an outspoken supporter. You might be interested that on ABC yesterday we taped a, uh, a my half of a half hour bit for Medicare, which ABC is putting on on Sunday afternoon. So oh, I'll watch it. I'll watch it. Going on to the next step. Do you remember what uh, what program it's on, what they call it? It's something in issues. It's yeah, answers and issues. Issues and answers. For Sunday, for Sunday afternoon. Uh, you'd be interested. Uh, first, they had uh, ex-President Annis of the ANA to take the other half of the program, and uh, when he found that I was going to do the other half, uh, he or the ANA withdrew it. And uh, uh, they said that they didn't want the country to get the impression that the medical profession was split on this issue. <laughs> and uh, then they got, uh, ABC got uh, Senator Power of Texas, and uh, he called him. This was to be taped yesterday afternoon. Then uh, when uh, uh, Tower called up uh, ABC yesterday morning and said that Texas was a shambles and uh, he couldn't come up to do it. <laughs> well, they finally got uh, Congressman uh, Curtis, and uh, he was doing it sometime today. Well, uh, that is very, very interesting, and I'm so grateful to you for doing it, and I want to thank you again for your wonderful help in the campaign. Thanks for calling. And I'll try to be worthy of your confidence. Uh, I've got great confidence. Thank you so much. We move forward now to 1965. With his election win and a huge majority in the new Congress, President Johnson redoubles his efforts to get Medicare and Medicaid passed. And on March 23rd, he scores a major victory when the House Ways and Means Committee finally approves a bill. That day, the president talks to Assistant Health Education and Welfare Secretary Wilbur Cohen and House Majority Leader Carl Albert. I think it's a great bill, Mr. President. Is that right? Yes, sir. I think you got uh, not only uh, everything that you wanted, but we got a lot more than uh, uh, on this uh, thing. It's a real comprehensive bill. What? Uh, how much does it cost my budget over what we estimate? Well, I think it uh, it would be around, I'd say, four hundred and fifty million more. Than what you estimated uh, for the net cost of this supplementary program. Now, what do they do under that? How is that handled? Explain that to me again, over and above the King Anderson, this supplementary you stole from Burns. Yes. Well, uh, generally speaking, it's uh, physician services. Physician. Yes, in the office. All right, now, my doctor that I go out and he pumps my stomach out to see if I got any ulcers, that physician? That's right. Uh, any, any medical services that are MD services? Any MD services. Now, uh, All right, now, how do we know? What does he charge what he wants to? No, uh, he can't quite charge what he wants to be, because uh, this has been put in a separate, uh, a separate fund. Yeah. And uh, what the secretary of HEW would have to do is make some kind of agreement with uh, somebody like Blue Shield, yeah. let's say. And it would be their responsibility, uh, under the way the chairman has provided the bill, that they would regulate the fees of, uh, in effect, of the doctor. Uh, because uh, 
What he tried to do is to be sure that the government wasn't regulating the fees directly. It's a deal with the individual doctor. And uh, the bill provides that the doctor could only charge the reasonable charges, but this intermediary, the Blue Shield, would have to do all the policing so that the government wouldn't have its long hair. All right, that's good. Now, what does it do for you, the patient, on, on doctors? It says that uh, you can uh, have doctor's bills paid up to what extent or how much or uh, any limit? The individual patient has to pay the first $50 deductible, right. right. and then he's got to pay 20%. Of everything after that? Everything after that. So if you went to the doctor and you had a $1,000 bill, you'd pay the first $50, and for the other $950, you'd have to pay 20% of that. Uh, but that keeps you hypochondriacs out. That keeps stuff. the hypochondriacs out at the same time uh, for most of the people. Uh, uh, it would uh, provide an uh, overwhelming proportion of their uh, their physician's cost. Yes, sir, and it's something that nearly everybody could endure. They could borrow that much, or, or their folks could get them that much to pay their part, and even if they didn't have any money. Now, what does it get you on hospital and nurses' home under the King Anderson Well, under the King Anderson card, you get the uh, first 60 days of your hospital care with a $40 deductible. Yeah, right. Finally compromised on 40 uh, That's good. And uh, then, in addition, it has the three other benefits that were in your bill, namely the home health services, uh, the outpatient diagnostic, and we fixed that amendment up the way, uh, you remember the, uh, remember yeah, the way yeah, uh, the Mayo yeah, Brothers yeah, talked yeah. about you and me about? And then the only one change was for the uh, home health services. That has to be after you get out of the hospital. That's good. All right. Now, uh, what are the insurance companies? Are they still raising hell? Well, Mad? yes, I think they're going to go over to the Senate and raise uh, hell uh, on the uh, thing because, quite, uh, quite frankly, uh, there's no longer any room for the private insurance companies to sell insurance policies for people over 65 when you take the combination of hospital care and the uh, physician service. Yeah, okay. Now, I think that's wonderful. Now, remember this. Nine out of ten things that I get in trouble on is because they lay around. And tell the speaker and Wilbert to please get a rule just the moment they can. They want to get. They want to bring it up next week, Mister. Yeah, but you just tell them not to let it lay around. Do that. They want to, but they might not. Then that gets the doctors organized. Then they get the others organized, and I damn near kill my education bill letting it lay around. It stinks. It's just like a dead cat on the door. When a committee reports that you better either bury that cat or get it some life. And the speaker is saying to me, he says he's way ahead of you. Mr. All President, right. he's going to get that All on right. the House calendar next week and right. get it going right. so the, the doctors... Well, can congratulations to you. Now, let me talk to Carl if he's there. All right, thank you. Yes, sir. How's little John? All right, I think they've told you the whole story. Well, that's mighty good. You're wonderful. All right. Uh, get them, uh, uh, Carl, get them to, uh, to make y'all... y'all talk to John, y'all talk to uh, old man Smith and make him not let this stuff lay around till they can generate opposition to us. All right. Yes, sir. Later, he talks to Ways and Means Chair Wilbur Mills and House Speaker John McCormick. Mr. President, don't you worry one minute about these uh, doctors and insurance companies organizing against this bill. Yeah. Uh, now, we have written the insurance people, I, I must admit, completely out of the field of people over 65. Yeah. But the AMA is going in all directions. Yeah. I have even had them, uh, just in confidence, come to me at the last minute telling me they would accept the payroll tax if we'd use it. Uh, to finance our program with the state administering it. Well, you couldn't have that. 
but they've come a long, long way, and they're going in all directions. Now, the insurance people uh, are going to oppose it. There's no doubt about that. They were going to oppose H.R. 1. They were going to oppose anything we did. But they've got no more to oppose with respect to what we've got in this bill than they would have voted for anyway without what we've done. The only thing I don't, the only thing I'm concerned about, and I'm very frank about it, is that there's about $450 million in this bill out of the general funds of the Treasury for which you haven't budgeted to your, uh, your uh, situation. Uh, yeah, but I, I'll take care of that. I'll do that. You see what I've done. Uh, Wilbur, uh, uh, see, this will not hold for the rest of the year, but the first eight months, by constant cabinet pressure, by withholding and just threatening and ultimatum and being meaner than you or Harry Bird, I am under this year, the first eight months, a billion eight hundred million under what you appropriated and what I said I'd spend. Now, uh, I I think that I'll at least get down to where, where I'll be four five hundred million under that. That's number one. Number two, my deficit in the budget I sent you in January is a billion dollars under my deficit last year. And uh, I, I've reduced the deficit, $1 billion. Now, I think that uh, we can, uh, when they asked me about, uh, said, you want to put in four or $500 million. Uh, what did I say about it? And I said, well, you tell him we had an old judge in Texas one time. We called him Al Cowley, old Al Cowley Roberts. And he said, when they talked to him one time, and I might have used the Constitution, he said, well, what's the Constitution between friends? And I say, tell Wilbur that 400 million is not going to separate us friends when it's for health, when it's for sickness, because there's a it's a greater demand, and I know it, and for this bill and all my other program put together, and I know that, but it'll last longer. Mr. President, if you would talk to Mr. Ackley and also to Mr. Gordon, uh, they came to see me, and I, too, was concerned about the impact of the tax beginning. Uh, yeah, they, they, we are worried about that because it takes so much. We minimized the concern that they had initially. Mm -hmm. We've revised our rates uh, more in keeping with uh, their views, and I think they're completely satisfied. Right. What they wanted me to do, most of the spenders uh, said that I was not putting enough money in the economy, and I'd have to put three or four billion in to accelerate public work another thing and I cut out. Now they come along and they say, well, you're taking a lot more out here now and you're not pumping anything back, you're going to get in trouble. I said, well, you all go see Mills yourself and talk to him and find some agreement. I'm willing to go on anything that you all go on. We've agreed and we've changed the bill. Out of the That's good. Uh, line of well, I'll get out a statement and, and congratulate mind. the committee and congratulate you and for God's sakes, don't let dead cats stand on your porch. Mr. Rayburn used to say they stunk and they stunk and they stunk. When you get one out of that committee, you call that son of a bitch up before they get can get their letters written. You know that's the way I practice. I sure do. I know where you learned it. We're going uh, third, let me talk third, speaker now. Yeah, all right. Here's the speaker. Thank you, sir. Well, that's mighty good. Now, don't you let that dead cat hang around. Make them give you a rule. Because Mr. Rayburn, you said a dead cat got out of the committee report. It started stinking every day. And let's get it passed before they get the letters in. And we'll we'll have a damn good record. Because that sounds like a better bill, John, than we sent you. Yeah. Doesn't it, doesn't it to you? It does to me, yeah. I told him $450 million, uh, You know, my philosophy and yours, you and I never argued about $450 million for people over 65, did we? No. My way of humanity is always going. Okay, my friend. All right, my friend. 
For March 23, 1965, President Johnson, House Ways and Means Chair Wilbur Mills, and House Speaker John McCormick. Two weeks later, on April 8th, the House passed the bill by a vote of 313 to 115. Senate passage came two months later by a vote of 68 to 21. And on July 30th, 1965, President Johnson signed Medicare and Medicaid into law. Harry and Bess Truman are the first enrollees. Next time on Presidential Recordings, the March on Selma and the Voting Rights Act of 1965. Follow Presidential Recordings wherever you listen to podcasts so you never miss an episode. The Lyndon B. Johnson Presidential Library and Foundation, along with the University of Virginia Miller Center, have more conversations from the Johnson presidency. You can find them at lbjtapes.org.